One of the great cinematic moments for me is the um, opening scene in the movie Gladiator. I mean, it is just a spectacular thing. If you've seen it, there's this scene where it's bleak, it's cold, um, it's grim, it's so grim. The, the, the Roman army is uh, fighting in Germania, and uh, it's their last battle. There's hordes of barbarians in front of them. And the general Maximus uh, gets up, he's ridden his horse up and down through his troops, then he walks amongst them, he looks them in the eyes, and he delivers this short but most incredible speech. It's so motivating, it's so inspiring. And he's basically telling them why it is worth fighting, why it is worth fighting. And he says things like this, three weeks from now, I'm going to be home in Tuscany harvesting my crops. The sun's going to be on my face. Um, think where you are going to be. Dream about where you are going to be, and it will be so. Uh, and, then, and then he says these, these amazing words, brothers, what we do in life echoes in eternity. What we do in life echoes in eternity. Well, we, we're coming to the last in our series in the book of Ephesians. And in this final chapter, that's a little bit like what Paul is doing. There's a kind of massive call to arms at the end of this amazing letter. And Paul is wanting to remind us of why it is worth fighting in a life where, you know, so many struggles and things can come our way. Why it is worth doing. I think one of the typical mistakes that is made in teaching and in understanding this passage is to detach it from the rest of the letter, to teach it as a kind of standalone teaching. You know, what we need to do is put on the armor of God. And if we do that, we kind of lose so much of the power and the inspiration that comes from this passage when we see it in its context. Of course, the one big idea running through the entire letter is that God's long-range plan for the universe is to bring everything together in the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything in heaven and on earth, galaxies and governments, He's going to bring it all together. I mean, we, we stagger to get anywhere near the immensity of this vision that God has for his universe. And even maybe more amazing, in chapter 1, we learn that God has settled on us, little us, little human beings, as the object of his love. In the whole universe, he's settled on us as the object of his love. He says in, in the first chapter that even before the foundations of the world were laid, God had, had planned for us glorious living. Glorious living in his kingdom, made in his image. And you remember how the, how the letter goes on, so that with that being, being the opening way of the letter, so now... Um, both Jews and Gentiles are together. One new temple with Jesus, the cornerstone, chapters 2 and 3. The church 
unified, made one body, Jesus the head, chapter 4, and oneness brought into our relationships, into marriages, into family, into work situations, chapters 5 and 6. It's a massive, glorious vision that Paul is giving us here in this letter. But we are not there yet. We're nowhere near there yet. In fact, everywhere we look, there is brokenness, there's limping, there's pain. There's hardly a bone in the body of our world that has escaped injury of some description. Our country is divided and separated in ways that we haven't seen for generations. Everywhere at every level in in society, in amongst our human relationships around the world, there is fragmentation. There is the possibility of of those relationships having been uh, affected by this injury running through the world. And yet this letter, this letter is telling us that God, like a skillful surgeon, is setting a compound fracture that runs through the entire universe. It's a massive job, but he's well able to, to, to fix it through his son, the Lord Jesus, knitting it back together and healing it fully in Jesus until God's universe will be one. And this is why we are fighting. It is for this vision. It's for this long-range plan of God, King of kings and Lord of lords, which he will most certainly bring to pass. And so he calls us to join in this uh, fight uh, for this vision. So let me pray, and then we will read from Ephesians 6. Father, we just want to quickly pray for our nation. And we say, Lord Jesus, have mercy upon us. We don't pray against our leaders, we pray for them. And we pray that you would fill them with wisdom, that you would show a way of bringing things together so that we have a, a future which has purpose and peace to it. And we ask this morning, Lord, that you would speak to us from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Chapter 6 and verse 10 of Ephesians. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything... To stand. Just a pause there for the time being. Here we, here we have in these opening verses a, a greater strength being spoken about, God's strength being spoken about. The issue of strength has been very important in this letter. Paul has uh, talked about it in chapter 1, his great prayer at the end of chapter 3, and now in the final chapter. And, but what we must be very clear about 
is the sort of strength that is being spoken about. Look at verse 10. It's very clear, isn't it? Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. It's talking about a strength that is not our own. It's talking about God's strength and not ours. And God's strength is a mighty strength. So God isn't looking for any recruits for a strong man or a strong woman contest. He's really not interested in that. He's not looking for people who can bench press the weight of a car or something like that. You know, because that's simply not going to help us in this particular struggle that we're in. It's going to be no use whatsoever. I mean, Goliath was a strong man, wasn't he? But look where it got him. It didn't help at all. I mean, he was massive. He was so big, as David stood before him. I guess two, two thoughts must have gone through David's mind. He's so big, maybe I should run. Or, he's so big, I can't possibly miss. Can't possibly miss. And the words that David said to Goliath are so important. He says this, You come out against me with a sword and a spear, but I come against you with nothing other than I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. In other words, what he's saying is, I am coming against you as God Almighty's representative. I am coming with all the power and authority of God. I'm standing before you in His name. I wouldn't dream of coming, you, coming against you in my own name. That would be unparalleled fullness. I would be mincemeat in a few moments if I did that. But I am coming in God's strength. God's strength. See, we are to experience, we, little us, we are to experience God's strength made perfect in our weakness. There really is a recognition here, if we're going to take hold of the strength of God, we've got to understand our own feebleness and weakness. This is really, what goes with this, is a vote of no confidence in our own abilities. It's really an acknowledgement of our own feebleness in the spiritual battle. We simply do not have what it takes to overcome the enemy. But God does. God is able to do that, and we can be strong in the Lord's boundless strength, in His boundless strength. Now, God's greatest strength doesn't mean, however, that our opponent is a pushover. You see in verse 11 where it talks about that the devil has schemes. He has methods, kind of tailor-made methods for different situations. I, I think actually one of the greatest, his greatest schemes in our culture is to encourage people to believe that he doesn't exist. And, and, and he's largely done that through much of our culture. Um, but, but the truth is that he has schemes. He has schemes in, in, in your road and in my road. He has, as I say, tailor-made schemes to mess people up. He has schemes for rich and poor, men and women, boys and girls. No one is left out from his destructive plan. He has schemes for new situations. Incidentally, that's why it's, um, it, it's pointless moving somewhere else thinking that that will solve all of our problems. Because simply moving somewhere else, unless we're faced up to the real enemy, 
will not change anything. Why, why is that? Look at the next verse, the descriptions of the enemy. It's not really people that we're fighting. We often think that it is. They're the ones that are causing difficulty. And yes, some of the problems that we're encountering are manifested through people. But they're not the real, you know, a, a difficult boss or whatever it might be. But, but that's, that's not the real enemy. We are up against, he says, the demonic. We're up against something supernatural. Look at some of the phrases that he uses. It's spiritual forces of evil. It's powers of darkness. It's strongholds. There's an enormity, a hostility to the battle that is going on for God's kingdom. And just note, the one reason for having God's strength that we're told about in these opening verses is so that we can stand. Stand. Interestingly, it occurs four times, I think, in the first five verses, so that we can stand. It's interesting thinking about a battle, this sort of battle, because I, I don't see any kind of gritting of teeth here. I don't, I don't see anything, anything about you know, shouting at the enemy and getting angry and stamping around and marching here, there, and everywhere. It, what, what we're told to do is, with God's strength, to simply stand. The battle is the Lord. We have to stand for Him in the midst of it. He gives us the wherewithal to do that. Now, standing is all important in a, in a fight. We know that. If you go down in a boxing match, you tend to lose. If you remain on your feet, you have a chance of winning. Back in, back in chapter 5, Paul is concerned that um, some of the followers of Jesus, some of the Christians, are becoming spiritually sleepy. So, he, he says to them, Wake up, O sleeper, because if you're sleeping, you're not standing. If you're, if you're spiritually sleeping, you're not standing. You're, you're, you know, you're, you're there, you're out to the count. Wake up, O sleeper. Um, be, be aware of what's going on. Get on your feet. Be alert. Because our spiritual sleeping time will almost invariably be the devil's tempting time. And if there's just a sort of a haze over our minds and our hearts and our spirits, we really are putting ourselves in a very difficult place. I, I know, you know, with this exhortation to stand, that sometimes in life we feel as though we're on our last legs. Absolutely on our last legs. And I know that some of you... Um, have stood through incredible trials. And I, I want to say this morning, thank you for the enormous encouragement and the testimony of your lives as we see you standing through real trials that are going on in your life, real hardship and difficulties that are going on. Because it is a testimony to the truth of this passage that God's strength is sufficient for us to be able to stand. And so we bless you and we thank you for that as we all take on what Paul is saying here where he says, take everything that Jesus has for you. Take it all. Put it on and use it. Let's read on. Verse 14. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith 
with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Do you know, here we have a different armor. Such a different armor, isn't it? It's unusual armor um, to our minds when we look at it. It, it, the, The reason that it's unusual is that it's invisible, it's internal, and it strengthens us on the inside. All those things that I've just read about are all internal stuff that God wants to give us. Paul, in another letter, in his letter to the Romans, speaks about this as being like the armor of light. You can see light, you sort of see through light, but the real point of light, in some ways it's invisible, but by it we see everything else. And with the armor of God's light on, it scatters the darkness. We see what is really going on. This is what God wants to give us. He wants to clothe us in this armor of, of life. I, I think, isn't it interesting? The first thing that David has to do before he goes out against Goliath is to get off what has been put on him. Doesn't that strike you as unusual? There he is, kind of walking around, staggering with all this stuff from Saul that has been placed upon him. The weight of it. The weight of what he's carrying around. And uh, he has to, he just has to get it off. This is doing me no good. This is killing me, this stuff. Now the truth is that all of us have self-made armor which we think we, we, we put on, we think it's going to protect us and in fact it's doing the very reverse. It's giving an advantage to the enemy so that he is able to get a kind of a, a handhold or a foothold into our life and to begin to really turn the screws on our life. So we put on our own armor. We, do not, we might want to put on pride. When you're in a situation, well, I'm just going to stand up. I'm going to be proud. I, you know, I'm going to stand up for my rights or whatever it is. We, 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 we use excuses. We put on excuses. We put on blame. We put on all kinds of things because we think it's going to protect us and it's going to help us to believe what we want to believe about ourselves. And yet, it's just giving to the enemy a means of being able to actually grind us down even more. You know, I think the people round about us, as we're putting on self-made armor, they mostly see through it. They mostly see through it. Maybe we need to get better at talking to one another about that, helping one another with that. Um, and, but, and, and it's a little bit like, it's so obvious, it's a little bit like, like David in Saul's armor. It's ten sizes too big. It frankly looks ridiculous. Get it off. Get it off. It's not doing us any good whatsoever. So taking off the old armor is, is, is as important as putting on the new. In fact, we cannot put on the new until we get the old off. Now, you might say to me, Rick, hang, hang on, this is, this is all very interesting, but I don't see anything in this passage in chapter 6 where we're told to take anything off. I see where we're told to put things on, and you're right. But the, law, but the letter talks massively about both taking off as well as putting on. Look back to chapter 4 and verse 22, where we read this, verse 
chapter 4, verse 22, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desire. Put that off. Um, you know, it's, he's saying here, you know, that's, that's kind of worthless stuff. That's, that's our old heart. That's our old life. I mean, it's like dirty rags. It's not going to protect anything. Isaiah talks about our righteousness. It's like dirty rags before God. What will that do? It won't do anything for us. No, we need the new. Verse, uh, verse 23, to be made new in the attitude of our minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness, to be clothed with Jesus' life, to be clothed, clothed with His life, to actually take all the gifts and benefits of the gospel. These six pieces of armor, they're the gifts and benefits of the gospel, freely given to us. So let's, let's look at some of these, these things. Truth. Now we know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is truth. But the sense here is also, I think, um, um, us being truthful, there being truth in our inner being us being truthful with ourselves. It's also speaking about that. Us being able to speak truthfully to our neighbor. Uh, chapter 4 and verse 25. So, you know, when there's a breakdown in relationship at home or at work and we feel someone has, um, you know, misrepresented us, it's a mess, it's painful, you know, that whole scenario, we urgently need truth in that situation. But that truth needs to be a truth which we, which is telling us truth about ourselves as well as about the other party. Okay? So that we are free of any self-deception that we might have. We need a, 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 this belt of truth to give us a kind of a new transparency, an internal honesty, so that we can actually really deal with those difficult situations that come our way. I think we need to also understand that we need all of the armor in every situation. It's a mistake to think, oh, I've got this situation, what I really need is one piece of the armor. I'll take the belt. You know, that, that looks rather limited, actually. Rick, here you are, you're standing in a belt, nothing else but a belt. That's limited. That is very limited. Um, no, we need, we need all the pieces of armor to know how to use the truth, the belt of truth. We also need the peace, the, our feet shod with the peace. We need, we need the breastplate of righteousness so that we can speak the truth peaceably and we can speak the truth with kindness and goodness, the truth with his righteousness. We need it all, all of the time, is what is being said here. Righteousness. Again, Christ's gift of, of His righteousness to us, His imputed rightness, righteousness, that great objective theological truth, that's true. But also, I think, here, the sense of Romans 6.13 of us offering our lives as instruments of righteousness. What does that mean? We offer our lives as instruments of, of, of righteousness. Well, tomorrow, when we head out into the world, wherever we're going, we give ourselves as instruments of God's goodness. What's righteousness? 
It is God's goodness. That's what it is. So we give ourselves as instruments of goodness to everybody we meet. God's goodness. How am I going to defeat the devil tomorrow? Answer, by doing right things. By doing good things. Doing what Jesus would do. The very opposite of what what the devil wants and therefore it frustrates and it defeats him. Peace. Christ himself is our peace. Paul has written in chapter 2 and verse 14. He's uh, broken down the dividing wall. But also we want the experience of peace, his peace, ruling in our hearts. You know, being able to actually experience that. Oh, for that peace. Isn't that what we need every day? How glorious it is when we, you know, get in touch with it. I mean, in a sense, we don't want to go anywhere without it. We want that peace. It replaces the stress and the striving of things. Get off the stress. Get on the peace of Him ruling in our hearts. And don't miss in verse 15 here, talking about peace, the emphasis on readiness with peace. Readiness with peace. Which it, it, it's almost as though we need to be particularly prepared with peace before we go into situations. You know, once we're in a challenging situation and we don't have peace on, it's almost too late. How do we get it on? Trying to get it on and, you know, it's all, it's all kicking off round about us. No, we need to prepare ourselves to be ready with peace, to take it with us into those different situations that are ahead of us. Peace is to be our footwear wherever, wherever we are going. Faith, particularly faith, I think, in God's promises. As we, as we hit different crises in life, hit different situations, faith is pictured as a shield that quenches uh, fiery arrows, arrows of disappointment and loneliness and anxiety, fear, all, all of those things. You know, if, if we become anxious and fearful, say, in our place of work, in our study, in, in our neighborhood, but whatever the context may, may be, and we're thinking to ourselves, how am, I, how am I going to cope? How am I really going to cope? in this situation, that, that anxiety can grow into a giant in our hearts. It really can. And we defeat it, however, by expressing trust in God's promises. That when the anxiety comes about whatever the situation we're thinking about, we, we are saying in our prayer, no to that anxiety. I might feel anxious, but I'm not going to be anxious. There's a difference between the two. And I am going to stand with Paul. He's he's taking one of the promises. And he said, you know, he is able to do all things. I am able to do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Through Christ who strengthens me. Salvation. I just want to say about salvation, love your salvation. If you're a follower of Jesus, love your salvation. Take a moment. Every, every morning as you're waking up just to say, what a blessing it is, Lord, to be able to live my life on the basis of what you do for me rather than what I've got to do for you. That I can live my life on the basis not of trying harder to do what I know I can't actually do, but to trust you to do in me what Jesus has promised to do. 
it's entirely different. It brings us into a place of freedom. And, and it's a, you know, this comes over our head, salvation. It's to protect our mind. Notice it's, it's a helmet, not a baseball cap. You know, it's, it, it's, got to, it's got to protect every thought. Every thought. Taking every thought captive to Christ. And then the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Just use the Word of God like Jesus used it in, in, in the wilderness. Use it. Use this wonderful gift that, that He has given us. And that brings us to the final verse for this morning, verse 18. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. You know, you couldn't get something, this continual prayer, you couldn't get something that is more kind of all-inclusive of our lives. This has got, got to become our breath. This has be, got, got to become just uh, you know, capturing our thoughts, everything. I think prayer here, uh, not I think that Paul is talking about it as another piece of armor, but rather the means of putting on all the pieces of armor. We put them on through prayer, through interaction, through relationship with God, so that we are able to stand. And this is the time to stand. This is so, so much a time to stand, to stand in prayer with each other. Do you know, I think a, a, another, another tendency with this passage is to over-individualize it. But actually, the, it, it, it speaks in the plural form in this passage. We're not just to think about putting on the armor for ourselves. We are collectively, as God's people, to put on the armor of God and to stand together and to, and to be there for one another and to pray with one another. It's a fourfold prayer, isn't it? It's wonderful. We're told to pray at all times. With all kinds of prayer, that means with thanksgiving and confession and with requests, whatever is appropriate with all perseverance and for all people. I think the danger is to replace all with some in our prayer life. That it becomes, you know, we pray sometimes. We pray, you know, some kinds of prayer. Maybe we like this kind, but we don't like that kind. You know, we, we pray with some perseverance and we pray for some people. It becomes exclusive rather than embracing of everyone. I need to finish. Jesus is in charge of running the universe. But I think the question that runs through this whole letter is what about those situations and relationships that despite our very best efforts, they're not yet one. They, they don't seem to be coming together. In fact, in fact, just the reverse. Some of them, despite our, our efforts, it just feels as though the broken bones are not knitting together. The compound fracture is still very painful. What do we do? What do we do in those situations? You know, this letter, this letter is a real exhortation to us together to stand strong for the ways of Jesus. Jesus. For us to take daily little steps. For us to take daily win little victories by seeking to go Jesus' way. And, you know, in those situations where oneness is not fully realized, 
not all of our relations are fully realized in, into that oneness. We still keep on being as Jesus would be to the, in that situation or to that person. And we trust that in his ultimate timing, there will be oneness and togetherness that comes together in perfection in what is yet to come. What we do now in this life counts in ways that we really cannot fully understand. God is doing something amazing. It, we see it there right in the heart of this letter in chapter 3 and verse 10. God is choosing to disclose his wisdom. He's disclosing the mystery of his love to the heavenly realm, to the angelic beings. They're looking on what's going on on the earth in all of its pain, but in all of its little triumphs in the church as well, in, amongst those people that are following Jesus. And the heavenly realm are stung by what they, they see, that God would place his love on little earthlings like you and me, that he would take, place his love on them, that he would make a rescue possible for them, and how they rejoice when they see those little earthlings responding in faithfulness and standing with the strength of God in the battles and the situations and the different circumstances that come our way. They're amazed that we, as human beings, are participating in God's cosmic plan to renew the universe. Why does he do it this way? Well, we cannot tell. It's way beyond our pay scale. We don't know, but what we can know for absolute sure is that, is that this, as we seek with His help to be faithful to Him, that it will bring more and more glory to God, to the King of kings and to the Lord of lords. We just have to accept that. It's going to bring masses of glory to Him. What we do now in this life, it's going to echo in eternity. And it's going to bring more joy to you and me as we participate in going Jesus' way in life and discovering that we're a part of God's majestic plan. Amen. Let's stand. I'd love to pray. I just wonder if you could just recognize in, in your mind to use standing, if you're able, as a sign and a statement of your intent. Spiritually standing for Jesus. And I want to pray Paul's prayer in this letter for us. Father, we pray that out of the Lord Jesus' glorious riches, you would, you would strengthen us with power through your Spirit in our inner being. That as we stand here, Lord, you would by your Spirit be pouring the strength and the light and all the gifts of the Lord Jesus Christ again into our hearts and into our lives. And we pray that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. 
And we pray, Lord, that us being rooted and bounded in your love, in the love of the Father, we may have power together with all of your people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and the plan of God for the universe. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Father, strengthen our spiritual needs that we would stand in your 